will find uh, the passage in Romans chapter 6, 1 through 11, or on page 12 in your bulletin. Please stand for the reading of God's word. And as you stand, I'll remind you that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. All right, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So that you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Adam. Children, I encourage you to listen for, well, listen the, the entire time, but two things to listen for. A story about Augustine, and then later towards the end, a story from Alaska. I think many of you know that uh, Amy and I moved into our new home in the summer, and we did a complete remodel of our house. So the old house is gone, and we live in a new house. And during that time, uh, the crowbar became one of my best friends, one of my closest companions. We spent a lot of time together, and I used it for both destruction, you might say putting things to death, tearing things down, but also for building up, for, for bringing to life, for forcing things to fit. It's amazing what you can do with a crowbar. A crowbar is a very useful tool in building a house. But it is not a very useful tool or approach when it comes to building a Christian. You cannot crowbar yourself into the Christian life or even into growing as a Christian. And the good news is you do not have to. Now there is effort involved in growing as a Christian. We champion the grace of God here because the word of God does. But grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. <clears throat> in fact, the effort that comes in the Christian life is actually empowered by or fueled by 
the grace of God. We see Paul mentions that in Philippians chapter 2 when he encourages believers to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. There's the effort involved, but it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So the crowbar is not a useful approach to the Christian life, but union with Christ is essential. It is essential. And beloved, if you desire to grow in Christ, if you want to more and more die to sin and live to righteousness, you must first be united to Christ and then learn to live in light of that glorious union. In Romans chapter 6, Paul teaches us a fundamental lesson about our union with Christ. And it is this. When you are united to Christ, you are actually dead to sin and alive to God. But that is true of you if you are in Christ. You are dead to sin and alive to God. This morning I want to do a quick review of when and how that happens and then spend most of the time looking at what does that mean and then we'll close by looking at the command that Paul gives us in this passage. So when you are united with Christ, you are dead to sin and alive to God. When and how does that happen? Verse 2 tells us we died to sin. And last week, we saw how this happens, how we are brought into union with Christ. This happens at conversion. When a person becomes a Christian, when a person is born of the Spirit, or the Scriptures use that language, to be born again at the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we looked at how water baptism signifies this, but does not cause this. Our baptism with water does not make this happen. No water has that power. It's only the resurrecting, saving power of Almighty God that can do this. So when did we die to sin? We died to sin when God made us alive when we were dead. We were dead in sin. We were in Adam and God came to us and he made us alive in Christ. The scriptures talk about this in different ways. One of the ways it says is that God opened our blind eyes. We actually were blind to the glory of Christ. And what happens? God comes and he opens our eyes. He gives us eyes to see the glory of Christ. We can now see the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done for us so that we believe the gospel, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and then he began appearing to all of his disciples. We believe that, and we respond in repentance and faith. We acknowledge our sin. We confess our guilt before Almighty God, our need for his forgiveness, and we believe that that forgiveness is possible only through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we entrust our lives to him, confessing Jesus as our Savior and Lord. Now, before that happened in your life, you could say that you were alive to sin and dead to God. But now, a glorious transformation has taken place in your life. For it has been reversed. Now you are dead to sin and alive to God. Thanks be to God. Now second, what does this mean? What does this mean? When you are united with Christ, Paul says you're dead to sin, you're alive to God. What does this mean? 
Paul will actually tell us in this passage four results that flow from our union with Christ in his death. Four things that happen when we died to sin. In verses 6 through 7, he'll tell us our old self was crucified with Christ. Our body of sin was brought to nothing. We're no longer enslaved to sin, and we have been set free from sin. So let's look at each one of those. First, our old self was crucified with Christ. That old self refers to the old man. We might say the pre-Christian you. The in Adam you. Remember back to Romans chapter 5. Paul told us that everyone is either in Adam or in Christ. Every person on this planet, either in Adam or in Christ. And the truth is we are all born in Adam. This is the federal head or corporate solidarity idea, which can be hard for us to fully grasp and understand in our individualized society. But we can still understand the concept. We see it in different ways. Uh, The captain of a sports team acting on behalf of the entire team. Or the king of a country acting on behalf of the entire country. Or even one of the most well-known Bible stories of all time, David and Goliath, acting on behalf of their nations. So when David won that battle, the whole nation of Israel won that battle. So we see it. But Paul is saying that our old self, the old man, the in Adam you, was crucified with Christ. So when Jesus died on the cross... Those who trust in him also died. Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians 5, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. At the cross of Calvary, in the death of Jesus Christ, we are united in that death. So to be united with Christ in his death means that Jesus has not only died in your place, bearing the wrath of God for you, but that you actually died on that cross. A couple of weeks ago, I think it was, I mentioned that old spiritual song, Were You There When They Crucified My Lord? It's a wonderful song. As I've been studying this passage, it hit me that, you know, you think about those words, Were You There When They Crucified My Lord? And the chorus, sometimes it causes me to tremble. And all my life up till now, when I've thought of that song or I've heard that song, what's my response? I, I realize, yes, I was there. It was, it was my sin that put Christ on the cross. And in my heart, I think about that and I feel this weight of guilt and of shame because of my sin and what it caused Christ to do. And there's a sense in which I believe that's appropriate and that's part of the intent of that song is to recognize the responsibility of our sin and that only Christ can bring forgiveness. But as I'm studying Romans 5 and Romans 6, it's almost like I have a new way of thinking about that song, that it's actually a means for which we can rejoice Because it's not only that I was there because my sin is putting Christ on the cross, but were you there? Yes, I was there in that I was crucified with him. When he was buried, I was buried. And when he rose, I actually rose together with him. 
So beloved, you were there, not only in the sense that it was your sin, but in the sense when Jesus died, you died. And when he rose, you rose. So your old self, that old man, the, ad, the in Adam you, that person is dead. That person is no longer. He has been crucified with Christ, died when Jesus died. And now there is a completely new you. It's still you, but new. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So what does it mean that we have died to sin? It means that your old self was crucified with Christ. That's the truth. That's the reality. Second, it also means that your body of sin was brought to nothing. Now this body of sin is not the same as the old man. The body of sin is sin expressing itself through our bodies. So Paul is saying that when we died to sin, our old body of sin, what we did with our bodies in sinful ways was rendered ineffective. It was brought to nothing. That is, it no longer dominates us. That way of living is dead to us. And a new way of living has begun, has come to life. So most of you have heard the name Augustine, one of those early church fathers from the fourth century. Now, before Augustine was united to Christ, when he was still in Adam, he lived an immoral lifestyle. He was pursuing physical, sensual pleasure with multiple, multiple women outside of marriage. And even after he began to hear and believe the truth about Jesus, he did not want to follow Jesus because he didn't want to give up these pleasures. But then the Holy Spirit opened his eyes to the greater glory of Christ and he was united to Christ by faith and God changed his life. And this is how he speaks of it. He writes this, how sweet all at once it was for me to be rid of those fruitless joys, which I had once feared to lose. You drove them from me. You who are the true, the sovereign joy. You drove them from me and took their place. You who are sweeter than all pleasure. So what happened in his life? Augustine was a new creation in Christ. And then one day, one of his former lovers saw him. And she expected him to want to be with her. And she comes to him and in essence is basically saying, let's have another one night stand. And Augustine just keeps walking. He's ignoring her. And she calls after him, Augustine, it's me. And he replies, yes, but it's not me. And what was he saying? He's saying, the old me, that old self is dead, crucified with Christ. That body of sin is no more. It's been rendered ineffective. It's been brought to nothing. I'm not the person you thought I was. I'm not the person I once was. That old Augustine was literally dead. He had died to sin. And a new man rose in his place, a man alive to God, to joy in God, to true 
life. So Augustine was now united with Christ, dead to sin and alive to God. Not because of what he did, not because he cleaned up his act or got his life together, but because God made him alive when he was dead. United him with Christ in his death. So now, like all believers, Augustine was in Christ and Christ was in him. All that had been his before, his former life of sin and guilt and shame, became Christ's. And Jesus paid it all off in his death on the cross, while all that was Christ, his righteousness, his life, his death, his resurrection, became Augustine's. In the same way, beloved, if you are in Christ today, your old body of sin has been brought to nothing. It has no dominion over you. There's a sense in which you are so united to Christ, you are in Christ and Christ is in you, that whatever you do with your body, you do to Christ. This is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? You're so united to Christ, you're called the body of Christ. And then Paul asks this question, shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? And his answer is, never. It's unthinkable. You've been united with Christ and now you belong to him. He lives in you and you live in him. And this changes what you do with your body. So what does it mean to be, that we die to sin? It means your body of sin has been brought to nothing. It no longer dominates over you. Third, it also means that you are no longer enslaved to sin. When God first created mankind, Adam and Eve, in the Garden of Eden, they were able not to sin, and they were also able to sin. They had that freedom. They had that ability. Sadly, they chose to sin. And in Romans 5, God's word explains that when Adam sinned, we all sinned. He was our representative. What he did, we did. We sinned in him, so now every person who has been born from him by ordinary generation, is born guilty. This is what we talk about when we say original sin or being in Adam. We are born enslaved to sin. And so we are no longer born with the ability to not sin. We are only able to sin apart from Christ. As long as we are in Adam, we are in bondage to sin. So that even the morally good things that we may do do not flow from faith, are not aimed at the glory of God. And so they are all stained with sin. And instead of earning God's commendation, they earn his condemnation, his just wrath. But Paul is saying, in Christ, when you're united with Christ, you've been set free from that bondage. The old you, who could do nothing other than sin, has died. So you are no longer in bondage to sin. You now are able once again to not sin. Now we know that this does not mean that we will never sin. Yes, praise the Lord, you are no longer a slave to sin. But you are able still to sin. And at times you will sin. But the truth is, 
you no longer have to sin. It's not what you have to do. The decision is not already made. You're not already and only a slave to sin. It's not the only thing that you can do. Now you are able, by the power of the Holy Spirit working in you, through the reign of grace in your life, you truly are able to obey God and glorify Him. So what does it mean that you have died to sin? It means you're no longer enslaved to sin. And then fourth, it also means that you have been set free from sin. Verse 7 says, For one who has died has been set free from sin. Beloved, you are free from sin. This means sin has no claim on you. It cannot... It would be like a creditor coming to you. One that you owe nothing to. A creditor coming to you to whom you owe nothing and trying to collect a debt. Sin cannot come to you and demand payment. It has no claim on you. You have been set free. Your debt has been paid in full. That's why I keep asking you, how much sin is in your account? None. There is none. So when sin comes to you and says, you owe me, what do you say? Jesus has already paid that debt. You have no claim on me. Sin can also not come to you as a master demanding obedience. Why not? Because you have a new master. You have a new Lord because Jesus has delivered you. He has rescued you from your old master. In his death on the cross, he once for all time defeated sin in your life. You've been set free. So sin has no claim on you. So when sin comes and says to you, I own you. You belong to me. I rule over you in this area of your life. You cannot say no to me. You must do what I say. Beloved, that is a lie from the pit of hell. And you can say, no, I do not. I belong to Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. He has fully paid for all my sin with his precious blood, and he has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. That is the truth about you, beloved. So what does it mean that you have died to sin? Your old self was crucified with Christ. Your body of sin has been brought to nothing. You are no longer enslaved to sin. And you have been set free from sin. Beloved, you are dead to sin. And the opposite is gloriously true as well. You are now alive to God. Verse 8 says, Now if we have died with Christ... We believe that we will also live with him. And verse 9, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Christ and we being united to Christ, we will never die again. And then verse 10, for the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Beloved, this is your new life in union with Christ. This is who you are and whose you are. You are dead to sin and you are alive to God. You live with Christ and you will never die again and you live to God for his glory. 
When you are united with Christ, you are dead to sin and alive to God. Now let's look at the command that Paul gives us in verse 11. This is the first command in the book of Romans. We're in the sixth chapter, the 11th verse, and this is the first time that Paul tells us to do something. All up to this point, he has been proclaiming the glorious work of the gospel, what is true in your life, the indicatives of the scriptures. And now we get to this imperative that flows from all that God has done for us, all that we are in Christ. There's no way you can do verse 11 without the rest of Romans before that. So here we come to verse 11, and he says, what are we to do? So you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. What's the first thing he wants us to do? He wants you to believe what he's been saying. He wants you to trust the word of God, to consider it. That means to remember, to believe, to reckon. In the world of finance, it means to account So what it means is this has to do with reality, with things as they really are. Paul's saying, I want you now to act upon something that is already true of you. This has already happened. And I'm just urging you now to walk in light of that. That's why sometimes you'll hear pastors comment on this and they'll say things like, be who you are. Be who God made you to be. Beloved, this is something God has done. And Paul wants you to be aware of it. It's not something you have to accomplish. You don't have to go out there and do this or crowbar it into your life. It's happened. You remember it. You live in light of it. You are dead to sin and alive to God. He doesn't say, go out there and be dead to sin and make yourself alive to God. He says, you are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. In Romans 6, Paul is teaching us what this means. If we want to narrow it down to two things to remember, it means this. It means you can win and you will never lose. It means you can win and you will never lose. Beloved, you can win the battle against sin. The fight against sin. You can win and ultimately you will. Consider yourself dead to sin. That means don't give power to sin that Jesus has destroyed. Don't give it power in your life that Christ has already destroyed. When Paul says consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God, he is saying since you are now united with Christ... Don't live in sin anymore. Don't make friends with it. Don't give it the keys or the driver's seat of your life. Don't tolerate it. Grieve over it. Don't love it. Hate it. Fight against it with the life that you now have in Christ. It's almost as if being dead to sin, we might think of it as a a privilege or a legal right that we have but that we need to learn to act on or to live in light of this truth. You might think of um, perhaps a, a homeless person, someone who's poor, who all of a sudden has come into a million-dollar inheritance. 
but they still go hungry. They still live on the streets, perhaps because no one has told them. And they don't know that that is true. Or maybe they haven't learned how to use a bank account. They don't know how to access it. Or maybe they're just so used to an old way of living, they don't realize how different life can be. Beloved, in Christ, you are dead to sin and alive to God. So it's not an option for us to say, oh, well, I prefer to go hungry and beg on the streets. That's not the life that Christ has brought you to. So we need to learn to leave these old ways of living, these old habits behind. Now, when you come to Christ, sometimes it's a miraculous, instantaneous change. Sometimes those bad habits, those sinful ways of living, there's a break immediately and they're gone forever. But other times, we have those ways of living attached to us, we've brought them with us, and we need to learn how to live a new way of life. Develop ways of following after Christ. You know, a few, a few, uh, several summers ago, my son Luke and I had the, the privilege of going to Alaska with Lightshine Ministries on a, a one week or so mission trip. And while we were there, I, we met Charles. And Charles is like many Alaskans who he hunts to live. That's how they eat. That's where they get their food. So he had hunted all of his life. He was older than me at the time, and he had started hunting when he was younger than Luke. And he told us about this one time where he had trapped a coyote. And I don't remember the exact kind of trap, but it was, it was a live trap, so the coyote was still alive, but it was attached with a chain to some kind of trap so that it, it, it was this little diameter that it could move around in. And when he went to get it, he, see, he saw that he trapped this coyote for some reason. He doesn't know why, but he had pity on it that day. I mean, he'd done this thousands of times. But in this day, for whatever reason, he decides he's going to set it free. And so he releases the trap, and at first, it didn't run away. It was no longer chained, but it was staying within that circle that it had been trapped in, almost like an invisible shield. And then he said he had to kind of, in a way, shoo it away, get it out of that, force it out of that. And once it got outside of that circle, it ran off to live again. Beloved, Christ has set you free from sin. You're no longer enslaved in that burden you used to be in. He's taken you out of that realm of life so that his grace now reigns. He's brought you into life. You do not have to stay in your old ways of living the old patterns, the old routines, the old habits. You are not chained to them anymore. Christ himself has set you free. You are dead to sin. You are alive to God. And you can indeed have victory over sin and walk in newness of life. You can win the fight against sin. For Christ is fighting within you. And also... You will never lose. Ultimately, you will never lose. You will live with him. Beloved, your growth in Christ flows from union with Christ. Your growth in Christ flows from or takes place in this reign of grace in your life. And this realm has a wonderful invincibility to it. Or even an inevitability to it. So you must consider that you have already been raised spiritually. Consider that Christ's resurrection is the guarantee 
that you will one day be raised physically. God has raised you once and he will raise you again. So even when you do sin, there are times, there are days when we lose that battle with temptation. But even in those days, when we're acting more like we are in Adam than in Christ, we have not lost our salvation. We have not lost God's love or his favor or his grace. You are united to Christ. And you can never be disunited. I said this the other week. That road, that road from being in Adam, everyone starts in the same place. We all start in Adam. And that road from being in Adam to being in Christ, it's a, one, it's a one-way road. And every day, God is showing forth his miraculous, resurrecting, life-giving power. He's taking people out of being in Adam, and he is uniting them to Christ. And that work of God cannot be undone. It can never be overcome. So, beloved, once you're united to Christ, you can never be disunited from him. You would have, for that to happen, you would have to force his grip on you open. You would have to tear yourself out of his all-powerful, all-loving, all-good, nail-pierced hands. And, beloved, you might be strong, but you're not that strong. You cannot do that. And beloved, your enemy might be fierce, but he flees from the presence of your Savior. Satan cannot do that. And beloved, your sins may loom large in your mind and they may seem to have dominion over you, but even your deepest sins and failures cannot tear you out of the grip of Christ. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck you from his hands. It cannot happen. It's not happening, beloved. No matter what else may happen to you in this life, you can be sure of this. You will never be taken from Christ. And Christ will never be taken from you. So we don't have to fear the darkness that remains in our lives. It's temporary. It's fading. And the light of Christ is shining. We don't have to fear the spiritual apathy, the laziness, the habitual sin, the addictions, the deep-seated resentment we may have, that place in our lives that we feel most defeated, the most shame, the most weakness and failure. Our sins and our sufferings can loom so large in our lives. They can seem insurmountable we can't change it we can't make up for it and it may not feel or seem or look like that we are dead to sin and alive to God but beloved Christ and your union with Christ loom larger still than all the sin and suffering in your life they have more power in your life so we need to learn as children of God to consider Christ more than we consider our sin. Consider Christ more. Because as far as sin reaches in your life, Christ and your union with him reach farther. As deep as your failure goes, Christ and your union with him go deeper. As strong as your sin feels, the bond of your oneness with Jesus Christ 
is stronger. So you cannot, not one of you, can ever reach the end of God's mercy, his grace, his forgiveness, his power. And God never grows tired of caring for his children. He will not grow tired of forgiving you, holding you, comforting you, strengthening you. So consider, beloved, today and live the rest of your life mindful of your union with the King of Heaven. What do you think is more prominent in the mind of God? What's more prominent in the mind of God in your life? Is it your sin? Or is it your union with His Son? In case you don't know, there's only one answer to that question. It is not your sin. Not a chance. Not a chance. What is most prominent in God's mind in your life and what directs how he deals with you is your union with his beloved son, Jesus Christ. The sinless, spotless lamb of God. Can we rest in that truth? Can we rejoice in that? Can, can we acknowledge that our sins and our failures can never get, you, get us kicked out of Christ? Can we let this ever-deepening awareness of our union with Christ strengthen our resistance to sin? Because I don't have to crowbar myself out of my sin. I've already been set free. And I have the spirit of the risen Christ in me right now. I don't have to sin. You can walk in obedience. I can let that strengthen my resistance and also deepen my love for my Savior. Beloved, see it here in Romans chapter 6, in God's word. I encourage you to reflect on his tireless care for you. You have been strengthened with power to fight and overcome sin by the power that raised Jesus from the dead. This power now resides in you. It's living and active for Jesus himself lives in you you so when you sin don't give up don't give up and don't delay run to the cross immediately confess your momentary lack of sanity your brief lapse into unbelief repent of uniting christ to lies and idolatry and immediately know you are forgiven and free and walk in that newness of life you are dead to sin and alive to God. Martin Luther said it this way. I've shared this with you before. He said, the gospel teaches me not what I ought to do. The law does that. But the gospel teaches me what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has done for me. He suffered and died to deliver me from sin and death. The gospel wills me to receive this and believe it. To consider it. And then he says this. The truth of the gospel is the principal article of all Christian doctrine. It's most necessary that we know this article well, that we teach it to others and beat it into their heads continually. It's the crowbar approach. Well, I'm not going to beat it into your heads. But I will repeat it over and over and over again. Why? Because I need to believe it. First and foremost. Because I need to believe this glorious truth, but also that we may all believe and remember God's word and consider ourselves dead to sin 
and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen.